Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. Our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I am Chad Simpson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gian Lemmy. Hey, Chad. Um, today, again, you had an opportunity to interview another FCA great in Daniel Chapel. But if I'm not mistaken, you have a little bit of history with him. How did you get to meet Daniel? Yeah, so I've, I've known Daniel for, for 10 plus years. He ended up um, marrying a, a girl from my, my youth group back in high school. And uh, we've been able to get together and, and have many conversations to keep learning and, and growing as, as men and, and within the realm of athletics. But um, Daniel does an awesome, awesome job. He speaks with so much passion and authority on this subject of um, Christianity and sports. And uh, you're going to love this. A couple of things that, to look out for. He really gets into what the Bible says uh, to, to athletes and coaches. And uh, the number one thing that he wants the coaches that he meets with to just get and, and walk away from his meetings, that uh, understanding. And then the last thing is what would we do if we are, are in a spot, not walking with the Lord, not coaching for Christ um, the right way. But coach, let's get into this interview right now. Daniel Chapel, it's so good to have you on the Christian Coach Podcast. And uh, we like to ask the power question to start things off. So just want to hear from you. What does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? I would say when, when we have these kind of conversations with our coaches, I talk a lot with them about that, that classic question from FCA is, uh, what would it look like if Jesus were your athletic director? Because when we, when a Christian coach, what they're saying is when they, when they claim to be a Christian, what they should be saying is that I have submitted my entire life, my entire being, mind, body, spirit to the rule and reign of King Jesus. So that yes, he's given me eternal life and he's forgiven my sins. He's out of the grave. And now there's an abundant life of following him in the spirit, which means I'm going to submit everything in my life to him. And that includes my coaching. And so this, this view of my coaching as a living sacrifice to Jesus, which means he gets to my values become his values. My significance and worth becomes what he finds significance and worth in. And so it's a, it's a radically Christ centered approach to uh, competition and sport. On a personal level, I just want to start things off and, and ask, um, for, for you and Emily, what made you guys decide to, to foster? So Emily and I, uh, when we met in college back in, uh, back in uh, 2007, as we began, uh, the dating relationship and getting serious, talking about marriage, we both had a heart for adoption and for orphan care It's something that the Lord had really uh, shown me as a, as a young kid through some folks in our church. And there's, there's something that resonated with me. Uh, with the thought of, uh, of, of orphan care. I think it's something that's close to God's heart, obviously in scripture. And that was a calling that I felt on, on my life. I had no idea at that point, you know, when we were in our late teens, early twenties in college, we had no idea what that would look like. And so um, I guess uh, t- uh, 11, 11 years later, uh, we have uh, one, one, one child uh, internationally adopted Judah. He's uh, seven years old. And then we have two foster kids currently uh, hoping to adopt them in the next six to eight months. So, yeah, it's a journey of uh, just trying to be obedient to the Lord, even in the, the midst of a lot of darkness and a lot of challenge and adversity. Uh, but I think it's uh, as God has adopted us and, and not left us as orphans, we feel, him and I feel like that's part of our call is 
walking out the gospel for us is to is to be engaged in that work of orphan care. That's awesome. Really respect that. My sister's adopted five five children, so we've seen the the good and the the difficult through that. And uh, my Emily, uh, my wife Emily, and I, we we'd love to adopt uh, one day as well. So you've been an encouragement to me. But take me back to just your your graduation. Um, you graduated from undergrad, trying to figure out your next steps. And uh, how did you find yourself working for Fellowship of Christian Athletes? So Emily and I. We got married in college, which I highly recommend, actually. It was kind of neat to be married in college, but uh, we got married after our junior year. We were attending a little little Christian school in Greenville, South Carolina called North Greenville University, and uh, I had to do an internship at a church as part of my degree, and uh, the summer that we moved here to Danville, Illinois to get married, I actually interned with uh, Kurt Sovine at Connection Church here in Danville, and uh, just loved that experience and really felt a, a burden for Danville, for Vermilion County. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, uh, graduated high school in South Carolina, so I'm a Southern boy, and I, I never thought I would leave the South, but really felt a call and a love for this place, kind of me. I kind of fell in love uh, with, with Danville, a place that some people would call kind of unlovable, actually, ironically, but I love it, uh, as you know, your hometown. Uh, so, you know, and then as we were thinking through that and processing what was it, was a seminary, was it a church job there locally, God just really directed us to Danville. Came in here on a, on, a, on a huge step of faith. Emily got a teaching job here, but I had nothing, like no prospects of a job. Had gone to school for ministry, thought I would be a pastor or a youth pastor, and just came and served with this little church plant called Connection. And they made it pretty clear, like, hey, dude, we have no room in the budget and really no need for a, for a, for a full-time staff person. And so, man, I was kind of a bit lost there for a second. I felt like God had called me to full-time ministry. I felt like God had called us to Danville, but there was no obvious ministry position at the church we felt called to. And it wasn't even three, four months later that uh, the FCA job came open here. And I'd been involved in FCA from seventh grade all the way through through high school. Unfortunately, I peaked athletically in college, so I wasn't involved with FCA in college. Didn't play sports, uh, but had a heart for FCA. FCA had a huge impact on my life, on my family's life, on my brother and others. So I uh, was, was thrilled to be able to combine a love for sport, a love for ministry, be able to do full-time ministry and also serve at this church, you know, as a volunteer. So that's, that, was 11, that was nine years ago. That was nine years ago in August. And so I uh, have been, um, been loving it ever since, man. And Daniel, during your time uh, working there for, for FCA, what did you immediately begin to see as you were, were working with these Christian coaches? We, as I began FCA ministry, uh, one of the things that FCA had really began to emphasize years before I came on staff, but really, if we're going to reach athletes, uh, if we're going to reach the world of sport, it's going to have to be to and through the coach. So as we began to engage with uh, coaches, obviously the low hanging fruit for us was finding coaches who were believers in Christ. And so that was some of our first contacts and um, men and women who loved Jesus desperately, who were involved in their churches, who were, who were discipled. But one of the concerning things for me was that it didn't really appear that they had processed their coaching and their view of sport through a Christian lens. Um, it, it seemed that a lot of the coaches that I was, they, they, wanted to, they wanted to love their players, they wanted to coach for Christ, but sometimes their coaching didn't really look that different than the non-Christian coach. And so that began, that dissonance uh, began to stir a hunger in me to figure out, okay, how do we disciple our coaches to not just like want to pray before practice or pray before a game, but that Jesus cared about the way they coached on the court, that 
Jesus doesn't stay in the locker room. He goes out with you on practice and he is actually with you in your coaching in the off season. And so there's this, there was, a, there needed to be in my, in my, in my approach and my thought at the time was we need a more holistic picture of sports discipleship for our coaches. Uh, and again, it's not that any of these coaches are doing anything illegal or immoral or ethical necessarily. It was just, I think there was another level of being transformed in their thinking around what does it mean for Jesus to be my athletic director, that kind of thinking, that next level approach to uh, being a Christian coach. And so that's what put me on a journey, got involved with 3D, three-dimensional coaching, started picking up some of these other resources to try to figure out how do we disciple coaches to really immerse their coaching through that Christian worldview and to, uh, and to, to ultimately make disciples of their athletes, not only their athletes, but the parents and the officials. There's, there's this whole world of sport beyond just what happens on the court with players. There's this whole world and culture of sport that we as FCA staff feel like we're cross-cultural ministers. We're, we're missionaries. We're missionaries to the world of sport. You know, sport has its own language and has its own customs. In a lot of ways, it has its own idols and its own religion. And so we're, we're those cross-cultural missionaries into the world of sport. And so we had, we, I feel like we need a philosophy to understand, okay, how do we disciple these folks to, to integrate their faith in Christ into their coaching? Now, I'm really thankful uh, that I was able to sit in a roundtable discussion uh, that, that you played a big role in and, and led um, there in Champaign, Illinois, during a coach's camp. We had some great uh, discussion, arguments, maybe a few fights, but um, <laughs> can you just take me through some of the things that you're trying to teach? Like, what is the theology of sport? Yeah, it's a challenge because when you look at scripture, there are certain areas of discipleship of, of life with Jesus that the scriptures are very clear about marriage, sexuality, about money, about uh, ethical living, you know, uh, reading the Proverbs. There's wisdom and truth in not lying and telling the truth and being a hard worker and not being lazy. There's all these black and white categories of clear. Uh, they fall into the category of what we call Christian ethics or Christian moral reasoning. How do I live life out of my faith in Jesus? There's no first book to the coaches or first letter to the, to the athletics. So there's, there's not a clear articulation of what does it mean to, uh, to compete or to play for Christ. Honestly, in the Roman world, there were games. There, were, there was fun and festivity and sport, but it was not anything like you know, the Olympics obviously go all the way back. But as far as the, the amount of recreational sport that we do, because of the, the prosperity of our culture and all the free time that we have based on, you know, the, the blessing of a great economy and um, ease of labor that just didn't exist, you know, 150 years ago and before, there hasn't been a ton of really deep treatment, especially at a lay level outside of the academy of how do we think about sport from a Christian perspective? There was a time in church history where sport was seen as evil. It was unholy because it was pagan. It was completely pagan. They, you know, the Olympics, they ran around naked and there was a lot of other pagan idol worship involved in sport. And so there's a, there was a period of church history where we can't touch it. We can't, it's, you know, it's unholy. We can't do it. There was another period of church history where, and I would say we're kind of still there in some ways where it was a complete adoption, whatever the sports world's doing, Christians are going to, they just don't think about it. Like they just don't think about it. They just adopt exactly what the world's doing. And, and some of that isn't intentional. It's just a lack of engagement with what do we, how do we think about sport from a Christian perspective? There's no one authority. This is one of those areas of, I wouldn't call it speculative theology. I would call it um, certainly systematic theology. But again, 
when you get into Christian ethics in areas that aren't clear in scripture, there's a lot of diversity. I don't have a corner on, on how to think about sport. I can give you my perspective as I've read and thought, but at its most basic level, sport and play and competition, it would seem if they're not inherently evil, which I don't think they are, then that means they're part of God's good creation. That in Genesis 1 and 2, when God created the world, he created it with lots of potential. He didn't create it in a finished state. He created it with potential. And then he creates Adam and Eve as his image bearers. And he gives them the command and the blessing to cultivate, to have dominion. That, that, the, the, the thought there is I'm going to take the raw materials that God has created and I'm going to cultivate it and fashion it and, and, and complete creation out of God's completing creation through his creation. And they do that as an attitude of worship and giving glory back to him. And so it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship of God with his people. They're with him in relationship in the garden. And they're supposed to tend the garden as a temple. It's a temple, really. The garden's a temple in God's presence. And then go from Eden into the whole world and multiply, be fruitful, and have dominion. And so in the same way that God created color, pigment, and the humans take that color and pigment and make pictures and paintings, the same way that, that God created gold and, and these metals, you know, humans take metal and they fashion it. We would say that the raw material of sport is play, that God created. There's a part of our brains, and the neuroscience on this is amazing. The, the part of our brains and the things that happen neurologically and physiologically when we play, it's, it's just an amazing part of how God has wired us. We need to play. Uh, we need to recreate in order to be refreshed. And I mean, think about that word recreation, recreate. There's a place for play and recreation that fuels who we are. It does some really neat things to the brain, especially at a younger level. And so as we think about that concept, okay, if, if, if play is the raw material in the same way that pigment is the raw material for painting, we can see that at an early age, your kids, you know, they run around in a circle in the living room and they're having joy and wonder and fun and they're engaged. But as we get older, we need a little bit more to pull our minds and our imaginations into that circle of play. And so we, we get off the stopwatch. Okay, how fast can I run in a circle? Or, and then all of a sudden, at some point, we go, I wonder if I can run faster than that guy. And now we've gone from play, which is the raw material, to a game. The game is where we put boundaries. We've got the stopwatch. And then competition comes in. Okay, now I want to run faster than that guy. And so we have these different layers of sport and competition. But the raw material is play. And so I would say from a Christian perspective, what we want to think about is how can we enjoy these different levels in a way that doesn't violate the command of loving God and loving people? And so when we look in the world, in what ways has sin and disobedience and selfishness and greed has taken captive of those different areas? You know, competition is meant to be a spice that helps us engage in play and in wonder and recreation and joy. But many times for our, for our athletes and for coaches, competition no longer is a spice that helps us get to a place of joy. It's actually a place of darkness and pain and burnout. And so we can see the effects of sport. We know that the longer an athlete and coach is involved in that organized athletics, their moral reasoning gets worse, not better. This is, these are some studies out of uh, different colleges that the longer varsity male athletes were involved in sport, the more likely they were to cheat on a test. And so what are we here? What are we saying? What are we saying about what we're saying is God has, God has created play and competition and sport. These, these areas of, of, of deep meaning, it does deep things to our brain and to our physiology and to our reasoning and when we don't steward that well, whatever values and whatever we're teaching kids on the playground and on the ball field, it sticks with them in a, in a significant way. 
And so if winning in competition becomes the most important thing and we'll do anything to get there, whether it's cheating or anything unethical or abusive, our, our athletes are metabolizing that into their character. And so there comes a piece of the question isn't how can we get an airtight theology of sport? Because I don't think we can. There's, again, it's speculative. We're, we're trying to do some backwards thinking. The question is, if it's not evil, and I don't think it is, then how can Christians participate and steward it well? The question is about stewardship and management of sport. That's the question we're asking. On the topic of competition, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that wrestle with, with this uh, tension of um, if I'm coaching, I need to take take the Bible verse, take the gospel, uh, coach for eternity versus some that are just saying, I'm going to um, just do a really good job and honor God with, with being ethical. What do you have to say about that, that tension uh, for, for the Christian coach? Well, it's a tension that exists outside of just sport and competition. There are, you know, let's take a, let's take a contractor, a Christian who loves Jesus and he wants to build really good houses that are quality construction that aren't going to fall in. He wants to honor the Lord with his finances. He wants to be, have great customer service and all, the, all of his clients, believers and non-believers. He wants to be the salt and light of Jesus to them. That's a great, those are great core values. It's a great outlook. But at some point as well, I'm sure he's going to see the opportunity and feel the prompting of the spirit in the, in the context of living out the faith. He's going to have opportunities to share the truth of the gospel. And those two ideas should not be in competition with each other. They're not in competition in the scriptures. Jesus says, look at my works. When the Pharisees are giving him the business about what he's doing, he says, don't my works prove that I'm from the father. And then he would have opportunity to explain what that means. So his works and his deeds backed up and give, gave tangible explanation of what he was saying and vice versa. They work in, they work in relationship and show for a Christian coach. He or she should endeavor to have biblical values, biblical character, their identity in Christ. They should want to pursue excellence in coaching. But they should also understand that at some point, as Peter says, people should ask the question, why are you different? What is it about your coaching? And so as, as your life, as the Holy Spirit working through you plows the ground and cultivates the ground for opportunity, you need to be ready and willing to, to share the verbal truth, the proclamation of the gospel of who God is, of of how he loves us and he gave his son to die for us and be raised from the dead. You should not shrink away from either one of those. They're not, again, they're not polar opposites. They're actually complementary ideas. The trouble comes, I think, for some folks in that we're all wired a little differently with our spiritual gifts, with our, with our upbringing. Some of us come from very quiet, introspective forms of Christianity, which is good. Some of us come from very more loud or evangelistic forms of Christianity. Some of us have the gift of evangelism. And so we're going to lean more towards, I need to share, I need to share, I need to share. And you should, you should walk in that gift, but you can't, as Kerry O'Neill said previously on your podcast, you can share Jesus all day long, but if you're, if you stink at coaching, that doesn't honor Christ either. You need to be getting better at your craft. And so these are complementary ideas that we have to trust the Holy spirit and we have to be in accountable, accountable community, loving, accountable community with the word of God and the spirit of God that's going to help us hold these tensions together of being a great coach, pursuing excellence at my craft and looking for opportunities to verbally share the gospel. Those are ideas that we have to hold together and not just coaches, but everybody, no matter what their profession. What about the, the coach that's sitting here wondering, can I win? Um, can I win as a Christian coach? Does God care about winning? To you, uh, from your search of the scriptures and talking with other people, what role does winning play for the Christian coach? 
Well, first of all, I would just say, ask Tony Bennett, right? University of Virginia, defending national champions because we didn't have a national championship, you know, in March. Guy seems to, seems to be sold-out believer who loves Jesus, seems to be the real deal, and he performs and his players perform at a high level. And so I would say, yeah, I mean, Dabo Sweeney. Again, these men aren't perfect, but they claim to be legitimate disciples of Jesus. It would seem, and this is the danger of using people who are still alive, right? Like it might come out in three or four years that they're actually frauds. I don't think that's true. But I would say there's, there's really no discrepancy between being able to serve Christ and perform at a high level. Um, I, in the scriptures, we talk a lot about, or we see a lot of thought about excellence, right? Paul says, work as unto the Lord, not unto man. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And I feel like from my perspective of my reading of scripture and my understanding of, of sport and competition, uh, to, to not endeavor to be excellent at your craft and want to have a team that wants to compete at a high level would seem to be a violation of giving God glory because that's part of the, that's part of the beauty of, of sport. It's like we, I shared earlier with you that if I show up to a competition with another with a, with a competitor, and by the way, I don't like the language of opponent. Uh, that's not a Christian imagination. They're not my opponent. That's, that's military language. They're competitor. We're, we're there competing with each other to do something we can't do alone. So they're my, they're my competitor, not my opponent. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, when, I, when I'm with there with a, with a competitor, if I don't bring my A game, I am short-circuiting him. I am not loving him or her well because we can't compete at the highest level that we want to. That's the whole point of competition is I need you, Chad, to bring your best game when I play so that we can have the most joy because it's not joyful to, to beat someone 15 to nothing. That's, that's not fun. Is it? I mean, really you want to be, you want someone to compete at a high level. And so to, in order to glorify God, you have to want to compete at a high level, but you also have to do it with godly kingdom values. You can't short circuit that process either. You can't be doing unethical things in the, in the, in the process of being excellent. And so that excellence piece of honoring God starts from the moment you wake up in the morning Till, till you, you know, it, through your coaching, through your recruiting, through all of those pieces of sport that the kingdom of God weaves its way through all those things. And there's no reason on the outset of, on the end of that, that you can't be an excellent coach when it comes to X's and O's. I'm really thankful for, for, we probably sat down 10 times or so, just be able to argue, talk through these things, not argue, just discuss. And, and you sharpen me mostly, but um, what, if you were to meet uh, in a mentoring or discipleship, relationship with the Christian coach, what's the number one thing that, that you would just really want them to get, like walking away from that first meeting or, or second meeting, like as they enter into their coaching arena? My biggest concern for coaches and athletes, especially the more elite we get, you know, as we move towards college and then the professional sports, because we have ministry uh, in even here in, in Danville, we have some professional hockey, we've got some college, we got junior college, and we've got high school, obviously, and junior high. My biggest concern for a Christian coach, the pressure from the world to find your identity and your performance is so incredibly strong and it's subversive. A lot of ways we don't even recognize how this performance-based identity can creep in. My biggest concern is, is lovingly and truthfully helping that coach make sure that his or her identity is in Christ. Performance will come but it has to be in its proper place. A performance-based identity always leads to burnout, frustration, anger, strife, rivalry, all the things that Paul says are supposed to put away. Uh, putting, your, putting your identity in your performance will never lead to the fruit of the Spirit. And so for me, 
And if a coach is putting his identity in his performance, then I guarantee you his players are as well. And so he's failing to steward that group of men men and women for the king. And so I want to start to plant those seeds of coach. Let's make sure your identity is in Christ. And then all these other things we can work on, but it starts with your identity being in the right place. It's not your performance. It's in, in, in Christ. I know that's, that's been a challenge for me as an athlete and, and now as a coach. So uh, really good. And just can you boil it down really practical into like what's if there's a coach listening or, or for me, what's the very next step that you would advise a coach to take? You know, if they are wanting to just surrender completely um, to, to Christ and their sport and their love. You know, it's a word that's kind of old school, but it's a biblical word. It's a, it's a beautiful word, actually. It's repentance. Repentance just means to turn and rethink. And it's not a nasty word. It's actually a beautiful word of rethinking everything in light of who Jesus is. So re, start to rethink and reorient yourself. That's that Romans 12, 1 and 2, that if you've been conformed to this age, and all of us have in different ways, and we're always struggling with being conformed, then you need to be transformed. And practically what that means is go get scripture, go get the word of God, go find a group of other coaches who are chasing after the same thing and get in community with each other and start to work this out practically start to sharpen each other, use someone else's gifting and wiring. What does this mean at practice? What does this mean about how I do preseason, postseason planning? Does this mean we're going to practice on Saturdays and Sundays like everybody else? Maybe that's not a good idea because we're going to lead to burnout. Just starting to think through, if we're going to do this thing differently around Jesus, what does this mean? What does it look like? You got to get in community with other coaches to figure that out. Daniel, for you personally, you know, as you're, as you've, searched through the scriptures and, and wrestled with a lot of these things and you're pouring out into a lot of coaches. Um, I know it's so important for the leader to stay strong spiritually. So what are you doing to, to grow, um, you know, on a daily or weekly basis? I think, uh, again, and this is something, this is why FCA is so fun because the word discipline resonates in the sports world in ways that it doesn't resonate maybe in church world necessarily, but the disciplines and the fundamentals, you know, I, I, tell, I tell coaches all the time, hey, you know, whether you're eighth grade basketball or the NBA, they're doing layups at practice. Why? Because they're the fundamentals. And so there's some fundamentals of leading yourself in, in what we call personal worship. There's corporate worship that we do with other believers. There's personal worship. There's, I mean, right here, no one can see this. No one else is on Zoom but me and you. But before we got on this call, I've got my journal. I've got my Bible. And I try every day to be spending time being spoken to by the Lord, taking in biblical truth. Again, that Romans 12, 1, I want to personally push back. The world is trying to conform me, right? And I want to be like that balloon where the Holy Spirit and scripture and community, I'm blowing into that balloon to push back against the pressure of the atmosphere, the worldly atmosphere that's pressing on me. So you got to be in the word. You got to, you got to find somebody that's smarter and wiser than you. And you got to spend time with them. So I try on a regular basis to, to find myself at lunch or coffee with a mentor so that I can be discipled. Uh, I'm married up. And so my wife helps hold me accountable. We have conversations that sharpen each other. But, you know, when, when a Christian gets isolated from community and from the word of God, they're like that sick elk at the back of the pack. The wolves don't go for the healthy. They go for the, the stragglers. And so there's a piece as a leader. I have to stay connected to the vine, who is Jesus, through the word, through prayer. And I have to be, be in community. Even in COVID era, when that's tough, I have to find brothers and sisters in loving caring, truth-telling community, or I will drift, man. I'll drift out there and get picked off. Thank you so much for sharing all this. This has been so, so good. Uh, We just want to close out with uh, asking you, how can we be praying for you today? I'll tell you, man, COVID-19 has been tough uh, for us. I was just texting a few coaches here and they've all, 
I got one that's got COVID. I got one whose kids got COVID. And so trying to do what I just said, trying to get in community, trying to be in community with coaches, trying to do ministry. I'm in Illinois here. Our restaurants are closed. The schools are closed. It's just a tough, discouraging season for not just me and FCA, but a lot of ministers, a lot of church folk, a lot of, a lot of folks who are trying to be in relationship with people. It's very difficult in this season. So pray for FCA here locally for us that we won't get discouraged, that we'll be finding creative, flexible ways to minister. I'll be praying for my family as um, I have six kids. And so the odds of us getting COVID, the longer this goes on, the higher the odds. And that's just a, not only is it a health risk, it's also a huge hassle with logistics and quarantine. So uh, just pray for health and for creativity for us as FCA staff to be able to do ministry in a weird season. We'll do a let's pray right now. King Jesus, we... We love you, God, and, and we just pause for a second and take the, the gaze of our soul and look at you. And you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, and um, we just pray that you will refine us through the fire and take us deeper and closer to you, God. Help us to be instruments uh, ready to be used by you. And right now, we should lift up Daniel. Uh, we lift up uh, Danville and, uh, and the FCA there. We should pray that you would continue to bless it and pray that you just pour in opportunities for Daniel to uh, minister to meet with coaches, uh, to call coaches, to text them, um, help them help Daniel just be a huge uh, encouragement and, and light there in uh, Vermilion County. And we thank you for him and his faithfulness. And I uh, pray you continue to bless him uh, in this new year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chad. Chad, what a great interview with Daniel Chapel. So thankful for him taking the time to talk with you um the thing that stuck out to me the most was um again about identity where our identity is fixated on is very important to christ first of all but it's also important to our success here on earth um i keep preaching to my girls on the team and my kids at home my wife that regardless of what kind of success we have in school or in life nothing is is of value unless our identity is found in christ because we're always going to experience ups and downs, but if we are grounded in Christ and, and his word and his love for us, then everything else is secondary. Amen. And uh, I, I really like the um, the fundamentals for Daniel to, to stay strong spiritually. You can tell that he's studied the scriptures, that he's talked to a lot of people and, and really has a heart for God. And just the fundamentals of, of prayer, reading the word and meeting with, with people. Um, so coach, we're... we're praying for you we're rooting for you we can visualize and just see the impact that so many coaches can have on um, taking their their faith right to their teams to their communities to their families and uh it would mean the world to us if you could help us share the, the message of this podcast tell by word of mouth uh share retweet whatever you you can do to help uh, we're so thankful and coach just remember that the mission field is right where you're at 